You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It will be unbelievable. Disney World will be situated in one of the most accessible areas in Florida for automobile traffic. Traffic going north and south on the Sunshine State Parkway will pass within a few miles, where Interstate 4 cuts across the state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we discussed in a previous episode, Florida is rocked by the death of Walter Elias Disney, the cartoon and movie and amusement park mogul, owned 27,000 acres in central Florida, and he bought it cheap because it was mostly swampland underwater. But he planned on doing something big with it, another large amusement park, just like his one in California, but bigger. A longtime friend of Disney has seen the plans and described the plan as unbelievable. He would drain the wetlands and would clear the tannic acid that made the water black and make it blue. And he'd built a city of fun. But he died in 1966, as we discussed last episode, just as he and then Governor Burns had announced plans. The Disney people have said there can be no announcement of details about the Florida Project until the legislature makes a decision. Acres around the area that sold for $100 to $200 now sell for $5,000. There's despair in the hearts of some in the Sunshine State now. With how Walt is this going to go on? But his brother Roy quickly picks up the pieces. And it was never just a one-man operation. Roy Disney says, in fact, Roy acts a lot of ways as the CEO, while Walt worked on the dreamy, visionary, creative side. Still, you've got to be sure. And the one thing, as we read in that newspaper article that's pretty clear about the Disney project, is the Disney Corporation isn't moving until the Florida legislature does. Well, fortunately for them, they've got a friendly legislature. There's barely any opposition. And the fact that you have a Republican governor now, a new thing, doesn't change this. The Republican governor and the Democratic legislature are united on the Disney project. Still, you've got to be sure. So Governor Claude Kirk gets on the Learjet and flies to Disneyland in California and meets with Roy Disney just to make a point with his physical presence so he can say face-to-face, eye-to-eye, that the state of Florida is going to accommodate exactly what Roy's brother Walt wanted. 
total control over the land that he owns. Disney employees are going to be mostly the ones living there. So you'll have your own city, in effect, your own government. Here's what he says to the newspaper, Claude Kirk. Our effort would be to be sure that no politician, no city, no code enforcement people would be able to put their arm on them, either legally or illegally, to make them change the nature of what they were trying to do. This from Mirage, Florida, the Vanishing Water of the Eastern U.S., by Cynthia Barnett, which discusses this episode. In a handover of power to private industry that was astonishing, even by the standards of the state's long boosterish governors and lawmakers of the Florida legislature, the legislature in 1967 gave Disney government power over its own land. It would be, in effect, two cities called the Reed Creek Improvement District. This is not normal. Any development normally would be subject to local barons. And draining a swamp like that, you could be sure that a county board would be all over it. They might approve it or some of it, but it would take a while and they'd extract a price. Not for Disney. Almost everyone in the state wants the project. It passes overwhelmingly in the Democratic legislature. The counties that otherwise would be in control of Disney, their representatives, vote for the project. They know how much money this is going to bring in. And that Republican Governor Kirk signs it and personally promotes it in flying out there to make sure the message is received and the Disney people know how Florida's heart is behind them with their project. I suppose Claude Kirk, the first GOP governor since Reconstruction in Florida, makes an interesting point of comparison to what's happening now between the current government of the state and the Disney Corporation. But more than that, Something happens on that trip, and that Kirk gets into a lot of political trouble. Nothing to do with the amusement park, but with the timing. More about that later. I want to take this time to say thanks for listening, and the website's www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics. A couple things you can do to help the show. We got a Patreon if you're into that can afford it great help out the show wonderful here's what you can do without any cost you can subscribe to the program on apple podcast you can write a review you can tell a friend about the program all these things help us tremendously something happened in this episode that hasn't happened too often before um and it's not like i met claude kirk he passed away in 2011 but i do have a copy of claude kirk and the politics of confrontation and there it is as i turn to page four here it looks like the used copy that I purchased on uh, eBay here is signed by the man who we're doing this show about. To Bob and Ollie, best regards and keep up the good life with each other. Best, Claude Kirk. He's got that typical, uh, you know, politician signature. Big, huge K. Like the K is bigger than almost uh, two lines of anything else that he wrote. You know, the, the Claude Kirk. The C is pretty big, too. Okay, Reed, here's a desk. You get $1 a year. Now get to work on all of that stuff that you were complaining about during the campaign. Nathaniel Reed was from a wealthy family, and because of that, he had some leisure time and the expenses to cover his trips up and down the East Coast. And he loved nature, visited woods from Maine to Florida. 
up and down the East Coast, developed a love of nature, wanted to do something about conservation. And he got nowhere with the establishment of politics. Because he was a wealthy man and he had some time, he could go on a lark and support a gubernatorial candidate and volunteer for a candidate that effectively had no chance until he did. And when Claude Kirk won the governorship, he gave Nathaniel Reed a job. And Nathaniel Reed would push Claude Kirk at his urging Governor Kirk Champion two key conservation measures his first year in office. One was the Florida Air and Water Pollution Control Act of 1967. Creates a board and a permit process to oversee air and water pollution discharges. The other is an amendment to the 1967 Bulkhead Act, which required an ecological survey as a prerequisite for any state or local decision allowing alteration of tidal lands or lakes. Kirk hadn't been an environmentalist much before, but as Cynthia Barnett said in her, her book, Mirage, he loved ruffling the feathers of Florida power brokers, and he loved a press-generating cause. It was rape and run, said Nathaniel Reed. It was avarice. It was greed. It was make money now. He had an interest in the lowest guy in the totem pole, and at that time, conservation was the lowest thing on anybody's mind. And if you hear anything good about Kirk these days in any of the remembrances of him, they'll bring up his action on the environment. And then he made people laugh. Maybe. Here's from Edmund Kalina, Claude Kirk and the Politics of Confrontation. By 1966, the ravages inflicted on nature were beginning to bear their ugly fruit in Florida. Game fish were disappearing in many locations. Salt water was beginning to penetrate freshwater areas. The worst drought in a quarter of a century threatened to lower the water levels of various lakes to a point at which the very existence of the Everglades could be endangered. Meanwhile, various projects with disastrous implications for the environment proceeded. Although the new governor was not an active member of various conservation groups, he did possess several attributes that eventually made him the first conservation-minded chief executive in the history of Florida. He had a natural distaste for the despoitation of the state and for the motley groups that were doing it. Second, most of these interest groups at the time were Democrats or allies of prominent Democrats in Florida. Therefore, they made up his political enemies. Third, prominent advocates of environmental protection had enlisted in Kirk's gubernatorial campaign. With Nathaniel Reed leading the charge and the governor supporting him, the administration managed to secure the passage of the Randall Act, named after its principal sponsor, Democratic Representative M.T. Red Randall of Fort Myers. This bill made it more difficult to secure approval for destructive dredge-and-fill operations that were devastating the state. Because freedom cannot be given. It's not a you know, welfare commodity. Freedom is something that has to be gotten and taken by the people who are oppressed. In August 1967, H. Rapp Brown, chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Connections, and at times holding office in the Black Panthers, was going to appear in Jacksonville. Not a problem, free speech. The trouble is that Brown had 
spoke in Maryland, and soon after, there was rioting. So this was the fear in Florida. If it's beneficial to be nonviolent in certain situations, then it has been policy to be nonviolent. He's also a person who had more or less advocated violence, advocating people getting armed. Now, this is an issue that these days, um, there's two sides to that, right? Because one could argue in the 60s, different time, if uh, activists, particularly African-Americans, were saying, we got to get armed, it was seen as a big security problem. Now we have elevated gun rights in the national discourse, and those type of actions taken from the Reconstruction to the 1960s to disarm African Americans are seen as as a negative, are actually cited in some of the Supreme Court cases, just recently brought up in the oral questioning in Bruitt as a negative. But in terms of self-defense, we've always had a strong position that individuals are given a God-given right to defend themselves, and what's more, they're protected within the framework of the law to protect themselves. Anyway, little digression, but this is the type of thing. Brown had a quote that said, you know, violence is as American as cherry pie. It's going to happen over and over again. So this was kind of his thing at the various rallies. You weren't going to hear him directly tell people to rampage and riot. But he would certainly make hints. So when he appears in Jacksonville at a baseball stadium, Kirk decides to go. Brown is making a speech. He's trying to get the crowd incited, mad, and he's at the pitcher's mound. Kirk comes in in the middle of his speech, and obviously the presence of the Florida governor, especially someone as flamboyant as Kirk, and this is where his style actually has some side benefits where he can kind of distract a speaker just by entering the stadium. They didn't expect him there. He moves around. He's shaking hands with people, takes his seat for a little while, but people are coming up to him, and it's taking away from Brown's momentum of his speech. He waits for Brown to say people should be armed, and Kirk jumps over the dugout wall, small wall, nothing nothing huge, and walks over to Brown. He held out his hand. Brown refuses to shake Kirk's hand. Then Kirk grabs the microphone. I welcome you to Florida. If you are intending to incite violence, though, I will make sure that the law is enforced. There's no further conversation or speaking. Kirk walks away. Brown says some things like, oh, these white guys want to come in, and um, he uses a pejorative, want to come in and take over our meetings. That's how they do it. Things like that. Kirk continues to walk around the crowd shaking hands with people. To, and again, you know, unlike what might happen in, in Maryland or in other places where Brown speaks, the presence of the Florida governor right there, not, you know, yelling back, but being in the same place. Well, there was no further violence from the incident, and most newspapers believe that uh, Kirk had quelled the situation. I'm the only good guy in the South, Claude Kirk would tell the Saturday Evening Post. I'm not one of those redneck governors, like Lester Maddox. And it's true, and had he not taken certain actions towards the end of his term, we could really conclude by saying that Kirk represented a new vision, a new type of 
candidate and governor and a new type of uh, force in Southern politics. Because when George Wallace and Lester Maddox try to get a group of Southern governors to issue a statement that they aren't going to comply in their states with court-ordered busing, Claude Kirk says, in Florida, we follow the law and rebuffs any effort to get them to sign this. He doesn't attack Wallace personally. His father and Wallace are connected. His father used to work for Wallace at a certain point. Kirk's originally from Alabama. He still wants to court some favor there, but he he is used nationally when newspapers reporters need a quote to kind of cut Wallace down to size and say he's not the only voice in the South. And he'll say things like, Oh, I've known Wallace for a long time, but he's just helping Johnson. He's just a tool for Johnson. My goal in education is that Florida will be first. That's a quote from one of the Kirk white papers during the campaign. And Kirk had run on making education a priority in Florida. Florida ranked 18th among the 50 states in the pay of teachers. And because of the population boom, classrooms are now filling up. Teachers are frustrated. School facilities are also deficient, and so are supplies. And the state is in the bottom half of the 50 states in terms of total expenditure on schools. Kirk honestly sees this as a problem and says that he'd reduce class sizes. He'd add kindergarten. He's going to raise teachers' salaries. The problem is no one knows where he's getting the funding for it because he's also adamant that he's not going to raise taxes. And depending on the time he's speaking, he'll either not answer the question about funding or say that there's going to be some magic revenue coming from the boom in the economy in Florida. He specifically says he wants teacher salaries to 5000 minimum. Now, some counties in Florida already have that, but he wants to make that the minimum. Previous bills to get teachers pay raises during the Burns administration and other times had gotten nowhere. Um, Governor Burns had passed and allowed a bill to die in committee for a teacher pay raise. So, you know, Kirk, the Republican coming in is primed to pounce on this issue. He calls for $85 million in pay raises. But to pay for it, he wants no new taxes. So what he says is, we'll raise teacher salaries, but we'll cut other educational funds not related to teacher pay, and we'll raise college tuition. This delights no one. The Florida Educational Association, the main teachers union, actually tell their members, if you get a pay raise out of this scheme of the governor's, please use that extra money for the school facilities because it's just being used to make schools crumble and for students not to have books. And they don't like the college tuition raise either. It's a cruel hoax, officials complained, and the Democratic legislature doesn't act on Kurt's suggestion. Again, he's a Republican. He's got very little statewide um, support. He's got a few Republicans in the legislature, but actually in the Florida House, one of his top Republicans, the leader of the House Republican, is actually pro-education and looking to raise taxes for more spending. So isn't even on the same page as him. All he's got is his microphone right now and his veto. Both will play a role. 
With the legislature not acting and Kirk not acting, the Florida Education Association, the teachers union, says that things are about to get uglier and their rhetoric heats up. Uh, the condition of Florida schools is terrible. They actually tell other unions across the nation. I see this in uh, in Hackensack, New Jersey local newspaper, a reference that the Florida union is encouraging the New Jersey union not to send any members down here, not to have teachers who are leaving New Jersey teach in Florida. It is not adequate, they say, the teaching environment. It could actually be a detriment to your profession. They actually start to hint that they might hold teachers responsible if they come here and teach from New York or New Jersey or that. In any case, and, and they're, they're trying to cut the supply. Florida's needing teachers as the population's growing. But they said, unless you're going to supply us with good classroom size, with good schools, with the proper books, this isn't a professional teaching environment. That's just one of their weapons, though. The FEA says it was about to get uglier, and we need to let the legislature and the governor feel the sting of your indignation, they told thousands of teacher members. It's a tricky situation for Kirk because Florida, especially newer residents, knew something objectively was wrong with Florida's education system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances, I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Kalina. There can be no doubt that public concern over education was greater than ever. Letters poured in into the governor's office, most falling into two categories— one group urged Kirk to hold fast to his pledge to not raise taxes and not to truckle to the teachers. The majority, though, urged the governor to do what was necessary to improve schools. One such person observed, I don't think you understand how many votes you're losing in Pinellas County. 4,000 people here today thought it wasn't right that their children could not get into a kindergarten. Can't the state afford to open them? Other states can. Kirk was caught on the horns of a dilemma of his own making. He had promised not to increase taxes, but he also made the quality of education an issue. That's Kalina. There's something else that happens. An overflow meeting. Tens of thousands in the Tangerine Bowl in Orlando. Teachers from all over the state in a huge rally and show of force. This gets the attention of both Kirk 
and the legislature. Something else, and and also when the FEA asks for undated resignations from tens of thousands of teachers, ready to go resignations for when the union wants to execute it as a pressure on the legislature. That gets the attention of everybody. We could have teachers walking off the job with no notice. Kirk goes on TV with a new plan. I'll support funding of structural changes happening. I've always been in support of increases in teachers' salaries. We need also structural changes in the educational system. What does that mean? Kirk wants as the price for supporting teacher salary, and perhaps he's hinting even raising taxes, though he doesn't say those words. His price is he wants structural reform. That means constitutional um, legislative reform to remove the state's elected education commissioner, who's a man named Floyd Christian, a former teacher. Kirk doesn't like him. He doesn't like Kirk. Kirk as governor, wants to run the education system himself. So what you have is a three-way game, at least, between the union, the Democrats in the legislature, and this new force, this Republican governor with no real statewide party to speak of, issuing plans that are a little bit far out. It's an interesting situation for those that might have been involved in labor negotiations, it's often just like the unions versus the school boards or the unions versus the state in negotiating. But here you have a weird three-way. So what do you do? And um, the FAA decides just to go for the juggler. If they're not getting action from either of these entities, who cares if they're fighting? Take them both on as if they're one. They issue an ultimatum. They want a special session of the legislature October 22nd or teachers across the state will walk out. Now, this is successful, as successful as the Florida's teacher union has ever been in the state because Kirk's aides, the FEA, Democrats in the legislature, the educational commissioner, everyone starts meeting how we can avert this. Nobody wants that. It's going to look bad for everyone. And for a few days, it appears that they reach a settlement. We don't need to have that meeting in October 22nd. We'll have a meeting in January. In the meantime, the governor is going to have a special commission, and we're going to put the union on that commission, to have a seat on that commission. Pick anybody you like for your representative on my commission. We're going to make specific recommendations to the legislature for a meeting in January. Problem solved. Everybody's happy. The FEA calls off the walkout. And calls off their request for an October session. They'll take the January session. Except one thing. Everyone's assuming. The press assumes it. The legislature assumes it. Some members of the legislature assume it. Kirk's Republicans in the legislature assume it. The FEA assumes it. That some part of this governor's recommendation is going to have to be an increase in funding and therefore an increase in taxes. But Kirk, even indirectly, does not want to get tagged with that. And so he comes out and makes a statement that I don't necessarily have to listen to my commission's recommendations for what I submit to the legislature. And in terms of new taxes, I have already promised not to increase taxes. Any taxes will have to be approved by the voters statewide. There's no other way for the FEA to see this except as a betrayal to what they feel the deal that was made 
And so now they're hopping mad. So now they say a special session is not enough. By March 1st, 1968, the union demands a program for a special session, specifics that the FEA can already agree to before the session begins. They're not just going to take a session and see what happens. Otherwise, we'll walk out. And in case people think the teachers' union can just move the deadline, the head of the FEA says the deadline is so hard and fast that it's not even open to question. Well, the legislature goes ahead with that January special session, and Kirk takes advantage of it. He makes a proposal that no one was expecting at this time. Kirk had been seen as conservative, and yet he's going to call for a lot more funding for more electronics education, for space-age engineering classes, for two new state universities and new junior colleges, plus funds for inner cities, a real big menu, and property tax relief. In, in a way, he's asking for everything. Um, he's going to solve the problem that his opponent in the general election high wanted to solve about property taxes. He's going to fix the inner cities that you would think a more liberal Democrat would do, right? And he's going to live with his... And he's going to... Um, live up to his campaign promises on education. All great, right? His proposal, raise sales tax in Florida from 3% to 5% to pay for it. But there's a catch. I want the state education commissioner removed and voters need to approve any tax increase. So Kirk has now, in a sense, done it all, at least on paper. He's made his proposal He's advocated for more education spending and hasn't broken his promise. He's gotten his little inside baseball politics that he wants, and he hasn't risked a thing because he hasn't betrayed his campaign promise on taxes. This is dead on arrival, and the reason is it is Kirk's name all over it. No Democrat in the legislature wants to hand Kirk a victory. Even Kirk's... Republicans in the legislature, some of them don't like that statewide vote on the new taxes because statewide voters are probably not going to approve that. The FEA sees that too. They completely ignore the proposal, as does the Democratic legislature. Now, to be fair, he's proposed something bold. He's proposed something that you would be difficult to find another Southern governor at this time proposing something that radical. But because he's put in there that there's a statewide voter mandate um, and it's going to be hard for that to pass, on the other hand, he has a compelling program that you might be able to sell to the state and there's no better salesperson than this former businessman, right? And I see that in critiques and positive Stories about the Kirk administration. Okay, put this aside. It's dead on arrival politically. Democrats don't want to touch it. The FEA doesn't believe it. What the Democratic legislature does do, and a lot of these Democrats in the legislature are still representing that old pork chop gang mentality, is they pass a spending increase. It's not as much as what Kirk was asking for. for to do. It's not going to do everything that Kirk said. And the FEA quickly susses out that they didn't say that's all for education. Newspapers, too. As near as they can tell, at the highest, 
It's 150 million. There's 100 million that they're just going to use for their own local spending that they like, like always. It was the biggest fraud ever, says the head of the FEA. Now, this rhetoric is hot. Now, if you're on the scoreboard here, the FEA has now attacked the governor, the Democrats in the legislature. They're sometimes attacking that education committee. They're attacking everyone. Um, here, Kirk and the teachers union are aligned. They don't like what the Democrats did, but he's not sure. He doesn't immediately come out and say, I'm going to veto it. So he's weighing it. If he vetoes the bill in the legislature, it could still be seen as mysterious as a spending increase is. It could still be seen as a veto against education. Plus, it didn't look good, as Kirk was perhaps trying to sell himself out there nationally. In fact, his name had just been placed in the New Hampshire primary for president, Claude Kirk. He'll make sure to tell people he's not running in that primary, but it's nice to have the name out there, especially if one might want to be VP or win in a later primary for the top job. Kirk does what he does in a crisis. He travels away from the state. He goes to California. He goes to Disneyland. As we now know, this is because they are going to be building Disney World in Florida, and he wants to see it. That is known. That project isn't started yet, hasn't dug yet. Um, So he goes there. The press follows him. He shakes hands with a mechanical ape and in front of the cameras compares the ape to the leader of the Florida Senate. And he opens himself to a own goal here. Really bad political move. I mean, to be seen in photos with Goofy and Mickey Mouse while there's an education and financial crisis in the state. Here's Kalina, who's writing a book fairly supportive of Kirk. He says, it was a disaster for the governor. He seemed to indulge himself. It was his first truly serious miscue. Others could have been written off. This one hurt. Kirk always maintained that he was in contact with the state in Tallahassee. He had done his part. He has made his proposals. He was weighing that veto or not to veto while he was in California. But nonetheless, the trouble was symbolic. And it may or may not have had a role in the actions that come next. Kirk's in a weaker position after all the bad press coverage. And now, you know, again, he's only got this choice to veto or not veto. He can't affect legislation directly. He does not have the votes. He's really limiting his choices now by making this bad stunt in Disneyland. Out of nowhere, his problem is solved by the union because the union decides they don't wait for March 1st, their deadline. They act now. They activate 35,000 teacher resignations in Florida. And most of the teachers, the union's going to say half the teachers in Florida, other estimates have it less, walk off the job, leave classrooms. Kirk flies back to California. He is adamant that schools must stay open. He recruits volunteers from business to teach classes from the military, anyone he can get to fill classes and keep the schools open. It's not easy. There's thousands of teachers missing. He does something else. He flies in his copter and surprises a local teachers union meeting in Miami, one of the largest. They did not expect it. He enters the room and, of course, again, while the Teachers Union is rallying their members and getting them riled up. 
Here's the governor of the state of Florida. You cannot ignore him. He walks up to the head of the teachers union in Miami, kisses her on the cheek. And then he says, I want you to boo me. The teachers are thrown off. That's right. I want you to boo your governor. Go ahead. There's silence. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to boo someone, it's going to be my own volition. I don't want to boo someone when someone's asked me to boo. And that's the way these teachers mostly felt. But there are a few that get a few scattered boos. Well, come on. Can I at least get a hiss? Kirk says. There's grumbling throughout the rest of the meeting. Kirk doesn't silence the crowd just because he stood up to them, you know. And I've seen this a, a couple of times with things that Kirk does. I think it was present with the Brown meeting. I saw some video of Kirk in a 1968 um, during a, a riot in Miami where he confronted people. And we'll talk about that next episode. Um the idea that you might see a movie scene where someone, you know, grabs the microphone, makes a quick speech, and everybody's quieted down is really never happening much with Kirk's politics of confrontation. It's just, you know, the other part of it that they see that he's there and it, his presence does seem to have a difference. But the whole time they're talking and shouting and interrupting him. But he takes three hours and speaks to these local teachers. There's a dialogue. He makes a speech, he answers questions, and then leaves. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Hi, it's Bruce. Listen, we all know the news headlines are full of wild stories, like how the world is tipping towards authoritarianism, all while somehow, simultaneously, freezing, flooding, and on fire. It's a lot to take in. But what if... Instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're actually on the cusp of a better world. If I've got your attention, then I highly recommend tuning to a podcast that offers a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people. What Could Go Right is the acclaimed news podcast from the Progress Network. Zachary Carabell and Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time from climate change to politics, and make the case for a brighter future. Season 5 features fascinating guests like democracy scholar Yesha Munk on the hidden perils of identity politics, and NPR anchor Steve Inskeep about the importance of talking to people who differ from you, and what Abe Lincoln learned from those conversations that helped him unify the country. 
It's time to ditch the doom-scrolling polarization and start focusing on some of the things going right. So check out What Could Go Right wherever you listen to podcasts. Public opinion is, you know, had been for education, but it's not for this teacher strike. The FEA had seriously miscalculated, at least in the political environment that was Florida then. Now, we've been telling the story of the teacher strike a lot from Kirk's point of view. And this is a podcast about Kirk, so fine. But um, here's from the Zen Educational Project, because this is very important in the labor movement as well. The Florida's teacher strike of 1968 occurred in response to Governor Kirk's refusal to meet the FEA's demands, the overall failure of Florida's legislatures to fund public education. Perhaps buoyed by the rapid increase and direct action of social movements such as the civil rights and struggle of the 60s, the teachers saw 1968 as the time to engage in a radical fight against a system that had little concern for the education of Florida's children. Kirk's campaign rhetoric looked towards making Florida first in education, but he did little to improve the schools. Schools by 1967 seemed to be falling apart. Out-of-date textbooks pervaded almost every school. Some districts were forced to cut spending. They did this by cutting the bus systems and placing a cap on kindergarten to save a dollar here and there. The teachers saw Kirk's promises for what they were, hollow words. In a noble move, the education commissioner, Floyd Christian, you know, former teacher, former football coach, football player. Kirk, of course, ridicules Christian as well. He's a big guy, and he says he can do everything with the football but sign it. Anyway, Christian tries to avert a a problem and works out a deal with the teachers' union for a little increase in salary if they'll stop the walkout and if everybody's allowed back. The trouble is Christian doesn't like Kirk and vice versa, and Kirk um, blasts Christian's program. The Democrats in the legislature, who you would think would be looking to embarrass Kirk, and they are a little, you know, they wouldn't mind it. But right now in the priorities of things, they're tired of getting bashed by teachers. So the Democrats in the legislature don't help Christian Kirk starts attacking Christian, undermines his plan, calls it a secret plan. You know, there weren't any elected officials consulted and et cetera, et cetera. Christian needs his plan to pass the cabinet, which, as we had said earlier, is a little bit independent in Florida. And uh, after negative publicity, he's unable to get that deal to pass. There's a motion to defer it. In the end, um, the teacher's... And, and the amount of teachers who are now walking out still is dwindling. Goes from a high of perhaps as many as 35,000 to 20,000 and less and less. More teachers are going back to the job each week. Here's from the Zen Educational Project. While newspaper editorials lambasted the teachers and public opinion seemed to favor the state, the teachers did have a core group of supporters in the very people who had firsthand knowledge of the problems, the students themselves. Many students took to letter-writing campaigns, and in some cases, school-wide walkouts to show their support, to look for change in a system broken for many years. Strike lasted till March 8th when the State Board of Education and the FEA came to an agreement on increasing funds for public education. Many teachers went back to work, but thousands were also refused rehire. 
It's notable, Zen Education Project says, the strike occurred after Florida's teachers union merged as a racially integrated FEA in 1966. With the unions united, black and white teachers found common grounds in the labor struggle. While 1968 marched the first teacher strike in the nation, it was also the last for Florida. Public employees, including teachers, are barred from striking under both the Florida Constitution and state law. They do so, they face hefty personal penalties. In the end, Kirk does not veto that legislative bill, and so he allows it to pass the 250. So the some school funding, so he gets to claim some school funding has been appropriated on his watch, and he also gets credit for having faced down a strike. It'll take some time for teachers to get a better shake in, in Florida, and it's still a state that's regarded by the National Teachers Union as not up to the pay level. But the, the irony about it is, had they done nothing, the union could have gotten an increase, taken credit for it, shown that the legislature, you know, they can make the legislature and the governor bend to their will at least a little, and then move for gains later. Instead, Kirk gets the credit for the increase and wins the showdown. It's a significant event in the year 1968, and timing is good for Kirk as he hasn't shown much with his war on crime, and he's headed to Miami Beach, where in 1968, the Republicans are going to pick a candidate for president, and significantly for Kirk, vice president. Here's this surprise governor, a Republican in the South. There's a lot of reasons to select Claude Kirk for vice president. And he heads to Miami Beach with that on his mind till everything politically goes wrong. We'll discuss that on the next episode of the Go-Go Governorship of Claude Kirk. Thanks for listening. www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics is the website. Uh, if you like the program, just please tell someone about it. Spread the word. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. That does a lot of good for um, our positioning on Apple Podcasts and the like. If you like this, please give us a five-star review, all right? Really helps the program. Tell people why you like it. Thanks for listening.